Well, good morning again, everyone. Glad that you have joined us today. And of course, I had to laugh this morning with Joel a little bit, how being Sunday school season again, uh, inevitably we're going to talk about the things that I'm going to be preaching about during Sunday school. Um, but he was encouraging and said, you know, for people like me, I just need to hear it twice, so it's a good thing. But, you know, sometimes it's important for us to be able to, to hear the, the truths of the gospel message, the truths that are in the Bible more than once, because it doesn't always stick. You know, on that note, how did your week go? You know, were there ups and downs, highs and lows, struggles, victories? I think typically we experience all of those things throughout the week and then you know we have this idea that when we come here on Sundays it's a special day and for a brief period of time we act and behave a little bit differently than we do for the rest of the week no judging you know just I oftentimes say I, I preach on what I'm experiencing as well you know, so I can recognize those things in my own life, these different struggles, and I think, well, maybe somebody else is dealing with that same thing, and we need to put a voice to that. You know, I find in the type of conversations that I have with people, we, we talk about our struggles, and we try to find different ways of how we can do better, how we can improve, how we can grow in our faith, in our walk, and things like that. You know, if you've lived the Christian life for five minutes, you know that there are questions, there are doubts, there are struggles that come into your life dealing with things like salvation or sanctification or justification in big terms that can seem insurmountable. You know, how do we continue forward in that life? You know, as I've counseled in the past, many times I can't get over the fact that how times my advice might seem like it is geared more towards doing better, trying harder, where people are just spinning their wheels, understanding that that's not the proper course of action, but it just comes across that way. You know, this trying harder, this struggle uh, of just doing better in our life versus resting in the Spirit understanding that he gives us strength is a difficult understanding to have. Through this next part of the sermon series of what Paul is trying to instill into the early church, I want to kind of slow down a little bit and incorporate into this other little mini-series we just got off of how we should put others over ourselves now I want to talk about how Paul talks about what we need to do in terms of putting off and putting on. And originally I had three different passages that were laid out that talked about the same thing, but as I was in prayer this week for it, um, the direction the Lord laid, gave me was just to slow down with a certain passage and to break it down a little bit more. Because with these concepts, many times we just view them abstractly. They're just concepts, they're just ideas, and there's no practicality to it. It's difficult for us to live out what the Word of God says. So we're going to be going over these teachings that Paul would t frequently talk about to the early churches in terms of sanctification, in terms of how they are new creations, that they needed to throw off the old and put on the new. And as we're reading through some of these passages, we're going to see how we're being taught in obedience, 
And we're going to dive into that terminology a little bit each week um, to try to give some, some teeth to some of these concepts and understandings so it's not so much Christianese or platitudes or anything like that, but that we can truly use what the Word of God says to see the practicality behind the commands of God. So as we do that, we're going to be going through Colossians 3 um, over the next few weeks. So if you want to read through that um, as some study, that would probably be good um, just to get yourself familiar. But today we're only going to focus on the first four verses. So in Colossians 3, Verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And Father, I just want to thank you for the truth of your word. I want to thank you for your, your forbearance, for your love, for the grace that you have given us. And I pray that we can understand that a little bit more today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so there are a few points that we're going to try to break down today as we consider this text and what it means for the application that Paul is giving to the Colossians and then how we can understand that as well for our own lives. And the first thing that we want to see within this text, um, and throughout the chapter really, is how Paul speaks to our identity in Christ, how that's being described. The second thing that we're going to look at are the commands that Paul gives throughout the text. And then finally, the end goal that is awaiting us. So those are kind of the three points that we're going to be speaking about today, uh, beginning with identity. You know, as Christians... I think it has been preached in many pulpits throughout history that our identity needs to be wrapped up in Christ, where it is firmly rooted and established in him. And again, for the most part, I think that we can have an understanding of that in an abstract sense of what that means. But let's say that a person who is a non-believer comes to you and asks what it means. What does it mean to have your identity in Christ? What do you say to them? How do you explain it in a way that they can understand? You know, in conversations that you have with people, um, especially when it comes to who you are, how long in the conversation does it take for you to bring up the fact that you're a Christian versus this is who I am, this is my family, this is what I do for a living, this is the team that I support, all of those types of things. That might be more superficial, how long does it take for us to share that our identity is rooted in Christ? I mean, these are the, the types of questions that goes through my mind in terms of the interactions that I have with people. Because unless we're thinking about these answers ahead of time, when those situations do arise, we might be unprepared. You know, we, know, we always need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us, right? Understanding our testimony, to warmly express that. So today as we talk about identity a little bit, hopefully we can pick up a few pointers for our own understanding. You know, as he lays this out, there's a few phrases that we want to zero in on 
in the first verse. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, so part of our identity is that we're raised with Christ. The third verse, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So our life is hidden with Christ. And verse four, when Christ who is your life appears. All three of these phrases deal with how you are with God and in Christ is in, and he is in you. Now there's another connection up in chapter 2, verse 20, where it says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. So this connection, uh, the connection of this verse kind of completes that second phrase there in, chapter, in verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. See, this phrasing here, it's affirming the other rhetorical questions that are asked. If you have died, if you have been raised. In verse 3, it kind of gives that affirmation that you have done these things. And we've discussed this conditional if before in the past when the Bible uses this. It is, you know, giving the understanding of since you have died, since you have been raised. It's one of those rhetorical questions where the, the answer seems to be obvious for the reader. You know, as believers, since you have died, since you have been raised, you know, this, the, the connection and the relationship of the language that Paul uses is a reflection of baptism and the meaning of baptism. You know, in baptism, you are putting your previous way of life to death. You are burying it under the water and then you are being raised to new life in and with Christ as you're coming up out of the water. The old is gone, the new has come. So as we are in Christ and with Christ, what we are saying is that we have died to all that he has died to, and we are raised to all that he is raised for. To be in and with Christ is to be identified with him in his death and his resurrection so that a person whose life is hidden with Christ in God is dead to sin because he's united in Christ's death, which destroyed the power of sin. You know, we reckon ourselves, we consider ourselves dead to sin, and we're empowered by the life that Christ gives us uh, to become what we positionally and potentially are. Now, in that last little paragraph, there's a lot of big ideas. There's a lot of concepts. There's a lot of big words for us to understand. You know, especially when we think about how we still struggle with sin. I don't seem too dead to sin. I seem to be just fine with sin. So what does this mean that we are to be dead to sin? You know, and involved in this teaching, as Paul will go on in Colossians 3, is this whole putting off and putting on the old and the new, where we have to shift our thoughts from the earthly temptations to that which is eternal. And again, we'll get into that over the next couple weeks. So a little advertisement to not skip next week. But a little bit more uh, of kind of explanation for us. When I say that we are dead to sin, I mean that sin no longer has a power over us unless we choose it to. Again, unless we're willfully sinning. Because we understand the truth. We know the truth. We know that the victory is won, that death is defeated, that the power of sin is broken. We understand. We know. We recognize 
sin as being wrong, as being a transgression against God. So to die to sin doesn't mean that I'm now perfect or that I won't sin again. It means that I die to the hold of sin in my life, that I'm aware of what sin is. I know that I can choose to sin and I sometimes still will. You then have the conviction by the Spirit that shows us the areas of guilt, the shame where we need forgiveness and repentance. You know, you think of repentance. We've been over this in the past as well. Where repentance is turning away from but turning towards something as well. You know, as believers, our eyes are to be focused on Christ. Our eyes are to be focused on Jesus. But you have all of these shiny things in the world. You have all of these temptations around us to try to take our eyes away from him. And at times, we will focus on those things other than Christ. So for repentance, we turn away from those things and turn our focus back on Christ. You know, that is a daily practice. That is something that we have to struggle through every day. God's salvation has broken the power of that evil nature to control our bodies, to have no say in terms of sin and stuff like that, to where we can choose to obey and follow. As believers, we are charged and commanded with the responsibility to persevere, to maintain this state of liberation, to, to live for him, to be holy as the Father is holy. Now we see this battle that goes on between you know, good and evil and things like that kind of being played out in Romans chapter 7 where Paul says, you know, hey, I, I do the things I know I'm not supposed to do and I don't do the things that I know I should do. So there's this shift that needs to happen in this struggle where we are putting the sin nature to death, the temptations, the sinful life, where we're actively refusing to give in to those temptations, where we're resisting the enemy, fleeing when necessary, and instead clinging to the life that he has given us, the new life, rather than the life of the world's pleasures and what is around us. You know, God gives us life so that we can have it abundantly. It's a new life, a new heart, a new creation in Christ. Paul talks about this putting off and putting on later, and, and sometimes people will use the analogy of how it's like changing your garments. You know, um, and then you can think of maybe Cinderella and getting changed for the ball, and she has this beautiful dress. Well, after a period of time, that dress disappears, right? And it's back to the old self, and till the prince comes with the slipper and then she's changed permanently into the bride. And, and you know, that's, that's a decent analogy. But when we're thinking about new creations, when we're thinking about the new heart and the new self, I think maybe it might be a little bit more accurately to think about the, the prince who is the frog and then he gets kissed. And once he's kissed, he's changed. It's a completely different person. It's a completely different essence or being. And then you can have the garment discussion from there. But again, as you deal with analogies, they help give you some insight, but usually they all do break down at some point. You know, um, in some other wordiness, Paul goes on in this reflection. If you could turn over to Romans chapter 6, um, this could give us a little bit more insight into this topic.
Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read, uh, I think, the first 14 verses here. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. We will never die again. Or sorry, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. So hopefully you can see some of those insights within that passage in terms of the dominion that sin has over us before Christ versus the Lord's dominion over us after. How, how Jesus died the death that he did to sin, but then he lives for God. Understanding, again, the connection that we have to his teaching. And within this teaching, if you want to go back to Colossians, you can. Within this teaching on identity, what we want to see is how we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. You know, when we are living with and in him. Paul frequently will describe believers as people who are in him through faith. In him through faith you find the elect, the predestined, the chosen, the beloved, the holy, the new creation, the heirs, so forth and so on. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are washed clean. But even with all of that teaching, even with that newness, it doesn't stop the enemy who will go around spewing lies and accusations. Where there will be temptations for you to believe that how you once were is currently how you are now. To take our identity out of the hands of Jesus. To believe whatever the enemy is saying against you. But that's not what God says. God says that we are raised with Christ, that we have died to sin, and that your life is hidden with Christ, and that he is your life. You know, identity is such a hard thing to hammer down and believe resolutely in our lives. Because as I said, in the next five minutes, I'm probably going to have an impure thought. I'm going to have anger at someone else. I'm going to tell a lie. I'm going to... Um, I'm going to be hateful to my brothers or sisters. 
What does all of that mean then for me who is a new creation? Am I really saved? Can I lose my salvation? Because would a saved person really act or behave in the way that I am? All questions that believers wrestle with at multiple points in their lives. Issues that we have to deal with. When it comes to sin, don't sugarcoat it. Don't try to lie. Don't try to avoid the blame. Call it out for what it is. Sin. Ugliness against God. Do not try to make yourself look better than you are. Hear this teaching today. Understand, Jesus loved you at your worst. He loved you while you were still enemies. But yet we continue to go through life thinking that we're unworthy, that we're unlovable. That case has already been solved. Jesus went to the cross. We need to understand sin for what it is and deal with it the way that the word of God tells us to. You know, you look at the first part of, of Romans 6 there and how it started. You know, we don't bank on the fact that we're saved and then continue just to live in sin and do whatever we want because, hey, Jesus died for my sins, so I should sin so grace can abound all the more, right? No. Nor do we on the opposite extreme say every three minutes, Lord, save me because I just sinned again. Again, there's truths within, within Scripture that we have to hold in tension, that we have to hold balanced. And I think our understanding of sin needs to improve in those areas because too often we treat it too lightly. We try to make ourselves look better for whatever reason. You know, as we face the attacks of the enemy, we need to firmly land on where our identity is in Christ and that our life is hidden within him, and that he is our life. It's the right perspective that we need to have in our mind as we approach the next areas, because living out our identity can be tricky. Let's look back in Colossians chapter 2 for a moment. I'm going to start in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So, you know, as what he is describing in this section is the way that 
people in the early church, the way that especially the Jewish Christians or just the Jews are trying to justify themselves. They're doing things through the law. They're making these regulations within the religion of do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. They're practicing things like asceticism. Asceticism is, you know, it's a strict self-control type of spiritual discipline. Um, You are living by a certain standard uh, of rules that you have to follow. Um, And if you fail to do that, then there's some sometimes brutal punishments that are involved. You think of in the Middle Ages, you had the monks. They would cloister themselves away. They would isolate themselves from society, attempting to remove worldly temptations um, in order to try to become closer to what the Father was asking for them to do. But you have all of these types of things that were in place. And Paul is laying out how this is the wrong approach to living life because you're trying to do it in your own power. You need to stop doing those things and learn what God is telling you to do. You know, and I, and I struggle with how this has played out at times because, you know, again, as I said, when I counsel, many times uh, as I'm encouraging people, it can seem like just stop it type of advice where there is some truth in that because if a person is stuck in sin, they do need to stop. But the question becomes, how? How can I break this addiction? How can I change these habits? How can I do better? Well, you look at those questions and you can see where that focus is. It's it's on I. So right off the bat, it's probably going to be in your own power that you're going to be working to try to correct these issues. Now, what's often been said is the correct answer, of course, is obedience, which is an action on your part. So is it just semantics? Is it just playing with words because of obedience being an action on your own part? What we need to see and understand is that we have responsibility to obey what God says. But there needs to be a redirect in how that happens in our actions and our thoughts. And Paul gives us two commands in this passage that are two present imperatives, meaning they are continuous commands. It's a daily thing that you are to do these things. In the first two verses, he says, seek the things that are above and set your minds on things that are above. So a responsibility on our part. A responsibility not for salvation, already saved at this point, a responsibility in our sanctification to obey what the Lord has commanded, to, to walk in, in the Spirit, to keep in step with Him. Where our focus isn't supposed to be on us, but our focus is on God, what He calls us to do, His desires, His will. We're obeying that. So handling this first verb, seek. I immediately think of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these other things will be added and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of the other things will be added unto you as well. You know, I also thought about the game, hide and seek. Maybe it's been a while since you've played that type of a game. But you know, as a seeker, you are diligently looking for the person or the people that you're trying to find. Maybe you're asking others, have you seen them? You're getting clues of their whereabouts. 
where you're trying to find that person by any means. You know, and Paul is very deliberate to separate out things of the earth and things that are above in this passage. Above, of course, means heaven, where God's throne is, where Jesus is seated at the right hand. So we're to be actively seeking after God. We're actively searching him out for direction, for favor, for assistance, because of the new life that he has given you. You know, you think about something new that you receive. Maybe you go to the store and you buy something new. A lot of times it will come with an owner's manual, right? God has given you new life. He has given you the owner's manual to where we need to, if we have a problem in life, if we have something that we need to call customer support for, to troubleshoot, to try to fix, something's not working correctly, go to the manual. Go to the Father, go to the source, the one that created this, the one that gave you the new thing. You know, have a thirst to seek him out. You know, when you think about your life, there are many things that we can seek, whether they're heavenly and things of above or things that are on the earth. Oftentimes, we're, we're seeking out things on the earth because we want entertainment, we want escape, we want to feel pleasure or release, and we go to these temporal things here on the earth rather, to, rather than going to the eternal things of the Father. We run to the things of the earth, but we are called to seek after him. You know, when we're struggling and we're looking at our problems, are we looking at them through a heavenly perspective or an earthly perspective. Because how you answer that can change your next steps and how you move forward. Hebrews 12, verses one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who, who for the joy was, that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are to be seeking Christ, looking desperately for him. And there's challenges and there's trials that will happen to us where we can be distracted to not think about Jesus in those moments. And there are times where the trials where the, the pain where the suffering is blinding and you simply just want to run it and hide you want to escape you want to numb the pain you want to turn to anything that you can to take away the pain and you look for things around you in the earthly realm you look at the drug addiction statistics in our country they're horrible but it's people who are in pain that are running running to the things of this world rather than running to Jesus, who is their comforter and healer. Now that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to run to Jesus. How? Because that's figurative language, right? How do I physically do that? Well, you do it through times in the word. You do it by spending that time in the word through times of prayer, constantly focusing on the truths of scripture. Even if you don't understand them, even if you don't fully grasp what the word is teaching you. 
You know, you look at those areas of struggle in your life and you go to the word, you go to a concordance, you come to me, you come to other uh, Christians who can give you scriptures to focus on, to memorize, so that when you're in that battle, when you're in that fight, the spirit can recall those things to your mind. And then you're in those moments of temptation where you can go, go to the left and the wide way that leads to destruction or the narrow way. But if we don't know the way to the narrow way, because we don't have that word written in our hearts, it's going to be a lot harder to go that way. Because wide and broad is the road to destruction. And we've been down that road many times. But if the word is hidden in our heart, if we know it, the Spirit can call it back to our minds. And in that moment, we can choose to obey or not to obey. That's the heart of the struggle in terms of that obedience. And sometimes we just want to claim ignorance. Well, I I just don't know it. That's your own fault. You have the word of God in your hand. Read it. There's no magic wand to make everything better instantaneously. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through suffering. You're going to go through temptations. Are we prepared to resist? Are we prepared to flee the enemy, to call out the enemy, to call sin for what it is? Or do we just want to coast in comfort, in worldly pleasures? We need to press on in our belief, utilizing the faith that we have, continuing to believe in God through the hardships and the trials, through the pain and the suffering, where we are seeking and looking for him because we believe in his word and who he is. I think of Moses and the Israelites wandering in the desert. There's a time where the Israelites are bitten by snakes. And Moses is told by God, okay, you got to make this bronze snake, put it up on a pole, hold it up, and they need to look at it. Any of you that are struggling today, just look at this pen and you'll be healed. Seems kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? You'd probably think, what shaman type of thing is this? But that was the word of God told to Moses. And they were to have their faith in the word of God. Believing what the word of God says, that if they looked upon this, they would be healed. And they were to walk in what the word of God says, obeying. Jesus then uses that exact same reference point as he's teaching the Pharisees and the disciples in the same way the Son of Man is going to be lifted up on a cross. If you look upon him, you will be saved. If you have faith, if you believe in who he is as the son of God and what he is doing to atone for your sins, you will be saved. Are we seeking, are we looking, is our faith solely placed in Jesus? And we should not be seeking the entertainment and the pleasures of this world because they're temporal. They will fade. We seek Christ who is eternal and true. So this week in, in preparation, I guess you can say, for the putting off series and, and that message, write out a list. Write out a list of the things that you're running to right now in your life that's earthly, that you are using to numb pain, that you are using to escape from responsibilities and obedience, that you're using for entertainment purposes. If you can identify those, you can then address those. What are those things attempting to resolve in your life? What core longings do you have that aren't being met that you're seeking other things other than Christ for? 
Is it love? Is it affirmation? Is it acceptance? What do we run to in this life that's not Jesus? Again, call sin out for what it is. Don't sugarcoat it. We make idols of things every day. And we need to to voice it. We need to say it. That we've put something other than Christ on that throne. The second responsibility that Paul gives is to continually set our minds on the things of the above, the things of heaven. Whether that's you know, our spiritual blessings, the hope that we have, the Savior's desire and his will for us. Rather than thinking about things that are only physical and temporal. The things that are above should occupy a large part of our thought life. But being a Sunday, being here in church right now, perhaps we're a little bit more focused on the things above. So let's run a test. In the last five minutes, how many times has our mind wandered? How many times have we been distracted by kids, our friends, parents smiling at me right now, maybe our phones, looking at different things on technology? How often do we get distracted in life? You know, I have such random trains of thought at times. Elaine always hated it because I would voice my thoughts at station X over here after I've already thought about this, 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 and this, and then say something and just assume that she's with me, that she knows what I'm thinking. You know, our minds move so quickly. We could be thinking about so many other things. Our schedules this week, our kids' schedules, football, lunch coming up, what we're going to eat, who we're going to hang out with. You know, it's busyness, right? And, And sometimes we can think we need to slow down or we could just do less and be less busy and that that could be the answer that we need but in reality that's still a just stop it type of attitude because the truth is no matter what we're doing we can be having our minds set on the lord you know you think about vehicles that you have thank you lord for the provision of a vehicle now i can expand my ministry i can go different places and tell people about you thank i'm thankful for the the job that i have the workplace that i'm in even though i might not be able to actively say the gospel message i can still be light for you i can still live out the gospel with my life thank you for the kids that you have given me and the gray hairs that i have because of them I have an opportunity each day to instruct them, to raise them in your ways. Those are, those are kids that are going to have a better chance than the people that are from parents that don't have Christian backgrounds. You know, you just have to change how you're viewing things in terms of even if you're busy, you have an opportunity to make connections with other people through that busyness. You can be used for the Lord's service to be his ministers, to take the gospel to them, to be the the feet who carry the good news. Again, realigning our perspectives in life to see others in situations through the eyes of God where our hearts are beating at one with him and his will that he has in terms of the calling that is on our lives, where our minds are focused on accomplishing his will 
rather than our own. And for what? Well, as it says there in verse 4, when he appears one day, we also will appear with him in glory. You know, I quoted last week um, Romans eight fifteen. whether or not we're considering the sufferings of this present time as being greater than the, the glory that's going to be revealed to us uh, in the future. Because that should not be the way that we approach things. These sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that is in Christ. And on the flip side of that, I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, those sufferings are not worth comparing to hell and what people will experience there. You know, you think about the glory that is revealed in us. As believers, that is our hope, that is what we're going for. At the same time, we want to understand hell is the destination for the unbelievers. And if at times we think that this world is crazy or we think that this world is, you know, just horrible, it's going to pale in comparison to eternal separation from the Father. The wailing and the gnashing of teeth. This glory is a part of our identity because the victory is already won in Christ and we too are in Christ. So the battles that we face, as difficult as they may be, Will pale in comparison to what does await us. We go through times of suffering, grief, and loss here on this earth. We go through times of scarcity and want. We go through times of comfort and plenty. But as Paul says in Philippians, we need to understand what contentment is. Not being wrapped up or focused on the things of this earth and everything that's going on around us, but setting our eyes firmly above, awaiting for his return completing the tasks that he has called us to, where we focus our hearts and our desires um, on his things and not our own. The early church struggled with doing things in their own power. I think we too can oftentimes do the same thing. Yes, there are things that we do through obedience, but we need to make sure that we're seeking him for those commands and that it's not just coming from us and us working in our own power. We need to stay focused on him in our hearts to help others and help those who are struggling through those times. We need to have a right perspective as we look through the word to find the solutions for life's biggest issues because our hope is found only in Christ. So my prayer is this week that you seek the Father out in prayer and in the word about these areas in your life. Not just the big chaotic areas, You know, your life is not one big, whole, chaotic mess because you are his. And his love for you surpasses anything that the world can throw your way. Rest in that truth. Rest in the knowledge of him and the glory that awaits us because it surpasses all the junk of this world. Next week, we're going to talk about what we're going to be putting off or what we need to put off. And we might get into what we're going to be putting on We'll see how it plays out. Let's pray for now. Father, as we come before you, we know truths. We've heard them many times before, especially about our identity and how it is wrapped up in you. But Lord, I pray that we would know it in a way that we can walk and keep in step with your spirit where that identity is firmly established and unshaken. Because the enemy is 
throwing a lot of different things at us. And it's very easy to continue to numb the pain. But Lord, I pray that we can seek you out in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that suffering, to find comfort and healing, to find your truth. And Lord, if, if there are those of us who are just stuck in sin patterns, I pray that you would just have your spirit teach us right now that it does not have a hold over us anymore because you have broken that hold through the cross. But Lord, that there's something deeper behind it. So I pray that we can find you in the middle of that pain, in the middle of that longing, and that we can see your truth in your word. Help us to study your words so that we can speak truth to the lies that the enemy just speaks to us. Help us to build one another up in encouragement through your word. To call out sin for what it is. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fill us today. That our holiness would be seen by all of those that we come in contact with through the week that the joy would be radiating from our face, that the peace in our hearts would create such stillness in a chaotic world. Lord, help us to be beacons of light and truth for you. Help us to seek you, to set our minds on you as we await being in glory with you. For we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.